First Kings chapter eight. Let's stand and read responsive. First Kings chapter eight. We'll read one through. One through uh, 17. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. And they brought up the ark of the Lord, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels, that are in the tabernacle, even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen, and could not be told nor numbered the multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto the place, into the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubim spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark, and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle. And they were not seen without, and there they There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Huron, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. I have surely built thee an house to live in, a settled place for thee to abide in forever. And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel. And all the congregation of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which spake with his mouth unto David my father, and hath with his hand fulfilled it, saying, And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And bless the reading of God's word. You may be seated.
And I was struck when it said, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that a, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. God is in the building business. God is in the building business and He wants you included. He has been wanting to build a dwelling place for His people from the day He called Abraham to come out of that special place. He promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and He promised to Moses that there would be a special place. And Solomon says he fulfilled his promise that day. He fulfilled his promise. In, first, in 2 Samuel 7, Nathan promises to David that a house would be built. David wanted to build a temple, a permanent residence for God. And then Nathan, this, the prophet came to him and says, No, your son's going to build it. Now we know there was a double interpretation. There was the son Solomon, but there was the son Jesus. So Solomon vowed to finish it took seven years, seven years to build this temple. It was overlaid in gold. The walls were gold. The altar was gold. The floor, everything in it, the candlesticks and all the utensils were gold. It was beautiful. You know, Solomon was chosen of God. It, it, it just overwhelms me that we're chosen of God. If you've heard the call of God, you're chosen of God. If you've had the conviction in your heart, you're chosen. God's wanting to do something. He's wanting to build something. God's building a house. He promised it and He performed it. Solomon finished the house and God put His stamp of approval on it. When they brought that ark in there, the glory fell. Don't we want the glory to fall? The Shekinah glory of God? The glory fell, and it says the priest just had to stop. They couldn't do anymore because the glory filled the building. This was a promise. And it was a foreshadowing promise. It was a type of the true house that God's really building today. Now, I know it's Christmas, and we traditionally talk about Christmas, but this was a type of a house that Christmas brought us. Jesus is the house. Jesus is the solid rock. He is the cornerstone, the capstone, and the living stones are you and I connected to the everlasting building. And He's in the building business. 
1 Peter 2.5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are to be built into Jesus Christ. God wants to dwell in you and I, and He finally got around to fulfilling completely that promise that He gave to David, that He gave to Solomon, that He gave to Moses. He sent the rock, Jesus Christ, at Christmas. The one that we can truly build on. And I was thrilled about this. I read this chapter. Solomon went on to pray. I mean, there's, I wanted to read, goodness, be thankful I didn't, but I wanted to read 48 verses, no, 56 verses responsively. Not only does the glory fall, but Solomon gets up and starts praying. And he says, God has performed it. He will do it. He has done it. And he's continuing to do it. He's going to build a house. We want to be the house. And we want God to be in the house. Right? And Solomon says in his prayer, But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain him. How much less this house that I've built. Yet have thou respect for this prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord our God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before these today, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant hath made in this place. And he went on to pray one of the most tremendous prayers. If this happens, God, and we come and pray, you'll save us from it. If this happens and we've sinned, we'll come to this place and pray. And people have been coming to this place and praying for the last 2,000 years because Solomon prayed it and he believed it. He goes on. In verses 41 through uh, 44 to say, Solomon does in his prayer to God on this day when the glory's fallen. He goes on to say, Moreover, concerning a stranger, that's us, we were strangers to the Word of God. While we were yet in our sins and trespasses, God had mercy on us and called us. I remember the day He called me. When I was analyzing and criticizing and saying, why is the church so dead? And God said, you are the one that's dead. He spoke to me. I got saved because I was scared to death. I said, God, have mercy. And he's been having mercy on me ever since, 1979. We were strangers and aliens in our disobedience, willfully. 
Moreover, concerning a stranger that's not of the people of Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake. This is Solomon praying. For they shall hear thy great name and thy strong hand and thy stretched out arm. And when he shall come and pray toward this house. You've stood there and prayed against the foundations of this house. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. And do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee. For all people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee, as do the people of Israel. And that they may know that this house, which I have builded, is called by thy name. Many of you have stood at the foundation stones of this house and prayed out as strangers and believed the word of God. And believe that the promises of God are sure and true and they're going to be fulfilled. Amen. Amen. Everyone. I was stirred this last time we were fortunate to be there, standing there at the Temple Mount, at the Wailing Wall. And we, the Wailing Wall now, they've excavated, it extends even farther. To the south, because you're facing the western wall. And you can get down to a corner and look up to the corner of the Temple Mount. And the anointing, what's there? What's it worth to be where the anointing of God is? What's it worth to know that the glory, the Shekinah glory? Did, I asked Pastor Nikki, what? I didn't know how to even spell it. What is this Shekinah? There's no word in English for it. It was a transliteration from the Hebrew word. What did it say? The Shekinah glory is? Uh, the Hebrew word meant he causes, he causes to dwell. He causes to dwell. That the God, creator of the heavens and the earth, would come and dwell with us, came and dwelt in a cloud with Solomon and the priest, he condescended to come and dwell and they sensed his glory. And he prayed this tremendous prayer. And toward the last of his prayer, he stood and said, and it, said, it says in 55, and he stood and he blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto the people of Israel. If you're saved, you've been given rest. If you've believed, as the song says, believe upon the name of the Jesus and obey Him, you, you are blessed and you have peace. According to all His promise, there hath not failed one word of all His good promise, which He promised by the hand of Moses His servant. The Lord our God be with us as He was with our fathers. Let Him not leave us nor forsake us that He may incline our hearts unto Him to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments which He commanded our fathers. That all the people of the earth, verse 60, may know that the Lord is God and there is none else. 
And he concluded the concluding verse of this chapter. If you want to read an exciting chapter, I've read it several times. Verse 66. And on the eighth day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king. They went under their tents. Joyful. <laughs> Joyful. That's what we were talking about this morning. Glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done for David, his servant, and for Israel. They had been together for eight days celebrating the ark, the dwelling place of God, coming into the anointed promised temple of God. They sacrificed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep that week. And the glory of God showed up. I'm looking for the glory of God. Excuse me. I'm just a little emotional, look excited this week. I'm looking for a house that's built on solid rock. I'm looking for a house that Revelation talks about. In Revelation 21, 19. And the foundations of the wall of the city are garnished with all manner of precious stones. Now, you know what? It hit me. I think those precious stones are you and I. God's building a house, a new house, a bigger house, a brighter house, a more glorious house than Solomon ever was able to build. And Jesus coming. Start the real building process. Christmas started the building. It was been promised for 4,000 years, and God has been for the last 2,000 years building an everlasting house. And it's going to outshine <laughs> that cloud that showed up that day for Solomon. The anointing of God is on this house and everyone who's called by the name of Jesus and born again into this everlasting house is going to be a part of it. And I want to be a part of it. I hope you get a little stirring that you want to be a part of it. This anointed house. Well, you know what's a house? A house is a family. That's what's in the house. He's wanting a little family get together. You know what else we do in the house? We eat. There's going to be a banquet in the house. We're going to eat together. We're going to live together. We're going to be in unity. God predicted it. He promised it. And He performed it. It says in 1 Kings 8. And He stamped His approval on the presence of God coming that day. God's building a house out of precious stones. Precious stones are going to be built into the house. Lively stones, Peter said. I'm going to get a little personal here. Um, I've been gone a week. My mother passed away on the 5th of December, 93 years old. Great saint of God. Greater saint of God than I realized because there was an awful lot of people saying it and giving her honor. And we had a celebration service this past Tuesday. 
And her precious stone is in the wall now. And we were privileged this week to see and feel the glory of God manifested in our hearts, in the sharing, the preaching, and the prayers at my mother's funeral celebration service. <clears throat> you know, uh, many of us were privileged to know him personally, but there was a great man of God called Reverend Helm. And I didn't know this for sure, but, but my nephew, my sister's son, James Dolls, she had two sons, Andrew, the oldest, and James Dolls. James said to me that he heard Reverend Helm say, or he says, when God's presence is in the place, when there's true freedom and true presence of God, the quiet ones that don't say a lot are going to start jumping up. They're going to feel it liberally. Vanessa, you were... <laughs> Woo! I was stirred up. You got up. She got up. Many of you have heard uh, Elizabeth Doss sing. Her dad's a pastor at Traveler's Rest, Christ Fellowship, Thomas Mullins. And... Young, young, excuse me. And we had prayed over the, uh, what all we were to sing and what we were to do. And uh, I felt God really leading. You know, you, we got there on Friday and the family gets together. And where do we have the funeral? Who presides? And there's somebody thinking this way and somebody thinking that way. And. You work through all that. You just keep working through it. And, and it was like there was a unity I had never known before among my brothers and sisters, a unity. My son, John, chaired the service, and as soon as he stood up, numerous people said they could sense the anointing of God. Elizabeth Doss was to sing, and... Uh, she got up to sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And we had a, the anointing of God was there, like I've never really known it before. Andrew Doss, many of you know my son Ben. You know my son John is ready to be up here in the front talking and preaching anytime. He can, he can talk. And you know my other son Ben is the total opposite. Extremely quiet, doesn't want to say a lot, doesn't want to be seen in public, just kind of let me be myself. Well, Andrew, my sister's son, is the same way. Very quiet. As soon as Elizabeth got done singing, this big young man of about 6'4", sitting right on the front row with me and 150 people back there stood up, turned to the congregation and says, if this doesn't stir you, nothing will. And sit back down. And I'm telling you what, the glory was in the house. 
Oh, to be at a place where the glory of God is evident. I want to be there. I want to be a part of it. I want to be where the glory is. I want to be where the cloud comes down. Where people are free to obey God. Where people are humble and holding on. Looking to Jesus. We were there to honor my mother and her legacy. 40 years of faithfulness in Saturday night prayer meeting. I encourage all you Saturday night prayer meetings, anyone who's in a faithful prayer meeting, hold on. Continue. People talked about that an awful lot. My mom was in the church doors. Anytime they were open, she was there. Rain or shine. I remember my mom and dad drug all of us kids out when I was probably 10 years old. They had four children. We lived the farthest away. It was pouring the snow down. We lived up on the hill. He drove down the hill in the snow, got to church, and the pastor just lived around halfway around the block. Most of the people lived within two blocks, or th- many of them. We walked in, ready to have church. My mom and dad, I was just a little kid. I'll never forget this. And the pastor was standing there. And we said, did you cancel church? He says, well, no, you're here. No one else was there. We had church. Seventy-two years married, faithful. Six years, six times she went to Israel. Wanted to be there at that wall. Wanted to be praying again. All the grandchildren were able to be there except one, and he wanted to be there, but they had just been there for Thanksgiving. And all of them said, we could say with assurance to almost all the relatives, my, my mom's brother and her sister was there, and many of her nieces and nephews, many of my first cousins, and there was many of them, 32 some, but many of them were there to service. I could stand there beside the casket and say to almost everybody that walked through, For two hours, you've been prayed for by this woman. You've been prayed for by this woman. She wanted to be back in Israel. She wanted to be where the glory was. She wanted to be where Jesus walked. When Debbie and I were privileged to go this year, my mom had broken her hip. She had dementia. She didn't know half the time because of her mind. She couldn't really know where she was at or where, but every time... She saw Debbie and I, now you're taking me to Israel. I've got some money and you, I'm going with you. Every, I mean, she was insistent. She says, Tommy, you get me up and we're going to Israel, Debbie and Jerry. Praise the Lord. God's in the building business. We are his workmanship. He wants to build a house. He wanted my mom to be a part of it and all of her family, and she prayed that way. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Him. And verse 20 of Ephesians 2 says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself, being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth 
unto a holy temple in the Lord. I want to be the temple of the Lord. Verse 22 of Ephesians 2, In whom ye also buildeth together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. He's building you. Everything He's doing, like Vanessa said, we need to learn our lessons. He's chopping away and building a way that we can be fitly framed together as a habitation of God. A habitation that shines. Fitly framed together, built upon the chief cornerstone, together with the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors. My mom wanted to be around the prophets and the apostles and the pastors. I, I forget for sure, but it was one of their first dates, my mom and dad, and maybe it was when they had just met. And my dad actually volunteered to help. The, the apostle E. Stanley Jones was in Charleston, West Virginia, and my mom and dad were there. Wow. E. Stanley Jones is recognized as one of the greatest uh, theologians and missionaries to India of the early 20th century. My mom and dad wanted to see him. Be close. Find out. I remember um, he was in his late 80s, maybe 90s. He may have been 90. Elton Trueblood, also regarded as one of the great theologians over at Earlham College, a Quaker. My mom and dad traveled from West Virginia to go hear him speak. Let's see what this great man of God. And of course, most of you know, anywhere that they could possibly be, and they were normally always there, that Reverend Lauren Helm was there, they were there. <clears throat> I mentioned that um, when the anointing is there, people are obeying God, there's like a a light, a shining, something. you just like, what? What's going on? You don't, you don't know. John felt like he didn't know why. I'd never seen it, never done it. He felt like he could, should uh, have the, my mom's anointing oil. My mom always had a bottle of anointing oil in the house. She'd be constantly anointing the Bible, anointing prayers, she would make little sticks, and then it turned into pencils, and she'd write the names. Edgar Martin's name was written in one of the sticks. All of our names, Jerry Richardson, Terry Richardson. She had boxes of these little sticks. Get them in her hands. See if she's walking around the walls of Jericho. Claiming the victory. The grandchildren, the relatives. And um, John says, we've got to take some anointing oil to the service. <laughs> we get in the service, one of the chapters she had memorized, Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. 
my youngest brother wanted, he had it memorized, but he wanted to come up and say it right off at the beginning of the service. He comes up and starts, bless the Lord on my soul, read the whole psalm to start the service. And as soon as he walked up there, he's had a, a lot of health problems. And he has two daughters, and, they ha- and one of the daughters has a little boy. And as soon as he got up there, God told my son, anoint this family with this anointing oil, pray over them, bless them, and bring healing to them. So he started anointing them. Well, then he, he ended up anointing, or Larry Hammett, who also helped chair the service. Larry Hammett was an associate pastor at Scott Depot Christ Fellowship. Also ended up anointing my sister then next, to start with my youngest brother, then my brother Terry, and then myself and my family. Never been in a funeral where you're anointing people and blessing them, praying over them, praying for healing, praying for the callings of God to be fulfilled on them. He said, may the, may the callings from this mother who prayed, this grandmother who prayed, fall upon these people. Fall on them. Anointed them. Said, bless them, heal them, but may the anointing fall on them. And... Um, we got done with my family. We're all going back down to our seats. And uh, there's a daughter-in-law that we have that's a wonderful woman of God. And I've never seen her stand up front. She's John's wife, Becca. Totally the opposite. <laughs> very quiet. Just very, let's just get the job done. Raise the children. Wonderful woman of God. She looks at John and says, I've got to say something. What? <laughs> I mean, she comes up to the podium. She says, I want to answer the call to be an intercessory prayer like this woman. Will anyone else answer the call to be an intercessory prayer warrior? And went back down to her seat. My, my mom's work is finished, but you and I need to be in the building business. We need to be in the building business. My daughter, daughter-in-law threw out a challenge, convicting challenge. She, it was very unusual. We found out later when we called and, and said, you know, mom's passed and we'd like for the grandchildren to be there. They had just been to her parents, which live another two hours north of my mom and dad in West Virginia. They had just loaded up five children and a dog in a van and driven 12 hours and then driven back. And as soon as Becca heard that um, there was going to be a funeral, she says, well, John, you just go, you know. Then she said, well, John, go and take the oldest two. And every time she said that, she got agitated. She just like, you know, something was going on. She just didn't understand it. She was mad at the dog. I'm not riding in that car with that dog again. You know, John loves a dog. And she just, and we all heard all this after the service. She says, I knew I was supposed to go. 
I finally realized it was the devil. And he was trying, and here I was to accept this legacy, this anointing, this calling. She says, I finally just said, God, I'm going. I'm going. Just give me rest. I'm going to stop fighting this thing. And she made that 10 hour drive, and then God does all this. As we were leaving, we, um, we went back to the funeral home. We had had some debate about having it there. We wanted to have it at the church, which is traditional in West Virginia. And my mom had kind of wanted us just to have it a little closer where a lot of her relatives lived. So we ended up honoring that and had it at the funeral, even though there was a lot of concern about having it in a, a facility like that. And uh, the director that helped us was so wonderful and so helpful. And I went back down to check on some of the details as we were leaving the next day, Wednesday, last Wednesday. And uh, he stopped me as I was leaving. This is a man who has seen funerals every other day. You know, that's all that he does. And he stopped me. He says, I've, I've just got to share with you. I've got to tell you something. Your son leading the service and all the talented grandchildren and the legacy of your mom. He said, I've never seen anything like it. I've never been in a place like this. This is a funeral director. He says, I have never been in a funeral like this. What's it worth when the anointing power of God comes on a place? What's it worth when the anointing power of God is seen by people in our hearts? It was, um, and we had a lot of people that were used to being around Reverend Helm and used to being where God led precisely in everything. That's what happened. It was like, you know, a song, a sharing by the grandchild, you know, several of the grandchildren shared, a sharing by each of us. It was like God was just orchestrating it. And uh, we were, it was like I told Debbie, I said, why? Why are we the recipients of so much mercy, so much grace, and so much mercy that God would see fit to visit and help us and encourage us and strengthen us? And of course, I told many of you that were here Wednesday, your prayers were answered. I mean, answered overflowing way 20 times above any of mine or my two brothers or my sister's expectations. My brother came up to me. I mean, all we did that evening at the, at the dinner, which worked out beautifully also, and we were able to go to the home where my mom grew up, several of us out in, in the country at the farm, 